Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, my name is Pam and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Primo Water Corporation's third quarter 2021 results conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you'd like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, please press star then the number two. Thank you. I'll now turn the conference over to John Cottle, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Welcome to Primo Water Corporation's third quarter 2021 earnings conference call. All participants are currently in listen-only mode. This call will end no later than 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. The call is being webcast live on Primo's website at www.primowatercorp.com and will be available for a playback there for two weeks. This conference call contains forward-looking statements, including statements concerning the company's future financial and operational performance. These statements should be considered in connection with cautionary statements and disclaimers contained in the safe harbor statements in this morning's earnings press release and the company's annual report on Form 10-K and quarterly reports on Form 10-Q and other filings with securities regulators. The company's actual performance could differ materially from these statements, and the company undertakes no duty to update these forward-looking statements, except as expressly required by applicable law. A reconciliation of any non-GAAP financial measures discussed during the call with the most comparable measures in accordance with GAAP when the data is capable of being estimated is included in the company's third quarter earnings announcement released earlier this morning or on the investor relations section of the company's website at www.primowatercorp.com. I am accompanied by Tom Harrington, Primo's Chief Executive Officer, and Jay Wells, Primo's Chief Financial Officer. As part of this conference call, we have included a deck online at www.primowatercorp.com that was designed to assist you throughout our discussion. Tom will start today's call by providing a high-level review of the third quarter and our progress on the strategic initiatives. Then Jay will discuss our third quarter financial performance in greater detail and offer our outlook for the fourth quarter and the full year 2021 before handing the call back to Tom to provide a long-term view ahead of Q&A. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Tom. Thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. Before we review our performance for the quarter and update our progress against strategic initiatives, I wanted to welcome both Kate Gutowski and Jeff Johnson to the team. Kate has joined as our Chief Operating Officer, and with experience in both sales and operational strategy, Kate will strengthen our management team and drive innovation, accelerate growth, and propel operational excellence of our differentiated Water Your Way platform. Jeff joins our team as Senior Vice President, Global Operational Excellence and Service Optimization. Jeff's leadership in the logistics and transportation industry will be leveraged to enhance margin and improve our return on invested capital. We welcome both Kate and Jeff to the team. 
Our third quarter financial results demonstrated the strength of our Pure Play water offering as demand for our products and services continued to increase during the quarter. Our global cooler quit rate improved by 240 basis points compared to prior year, and the increased demand has continued through the month of October. As we previously communicated, we have implemented a series of pricing actions to address current inflationary costs across the entirety of our customer base, and we continue to benefit from the energy surcharge and delivery fees that mitigate the increases in energy-related costs especially fuel. As Jay will outline later in his remarks, we remain comfortable with our full-year adjusted EBITDA guidance of between $390 and $400 million. As we continue to transform our business, we announced earlier today our plan to exit the North American single-use retail bottled water business, primarily one-gallon, two-and-a-half-gallon and case pack water, as part of our overall strategy to increase profitability and further reduce our environmental footprint. This exit will take place over the next several quarters and does not include our large format exchange, refill and dispenser businesses, nor our Mountain Valley brand, which sells products primarily in glass bottles. Jay will cover the modeling effects of this decision later in his remarks. During the quarter, Revenue increased 6% to $551 million compared to $518 million, 5% excluding the impact of foreign exchange. And adjusted EBITDA decreased 4% to $106 million compared to $111 million, driven by higher operating costs. The operational challenges we faced during the quarter were largely a result of an increase in COVID-19 infections across our workforce. We did not forecast nor expect that hundreds of route drivers would be adversely impacted by COVID-19. This created operating pressures as we worked tirelessly to fill the short-term openings caused by a route sales representative's missing work. Where possible, we deployed a series of tactics to service as many routes as possible, including hiring temporary labor, increasing overtime, and had managers and corporate staff going into the field supporting route operations. These route openings and our efforts to fill the opening short term resulted in a higher cost of service. Our teams have once again responded to the challenges presented by the pandemic, and I'm proud of the efforts of the team and pleased with everyone's commitment to safety and customer service. As we exited the quarter, we started to see a decline in the number of COVID cases across our operations that has continued through October and are returning to normal service levels and expected operating costs as we work hard to meet the current levels of elevated demand, especially in our North America water direct and exchange business. Globally, our customer base grew to nearly 2.7 million in the third quarter. As I mentioned last quarter, the addressable three and five gallon water market of U.S. residential households alone is estimated to be between 22 to 29 million and growing. The residential opportunity for increased sales of three and five gallon returnable water remains a top priority as the category has two to three times the market potential 
versus today's installed base. We are focused on increasing household penetration through execution of our razor, razor blade model. Our water dispenser sales provide an important entry point to, to access these households and capitalize on our 4R, recurring razor, razor blade revenue model. The attractiveness of the recurring purchase behavior is the ability to continually generate sales as part of our customer for life strategy. Our internal research indicates that among last year's North American dispenser sell-through sales of roughly 1 million units, 60% of respondents are new to the category. Of those likely to become a future dispenser household, research indicates their sourcing preference as 45% for water direct, 30% prefer water exchange, and 25% prefer water refill. We should continue to capture at least our fair share of this growth as our 4R model remains one of our strategic advantages. While Q3 dispenser sales were negatively impacted by the extraordinary cost for ocean freight, as well as the burden of tariffs implemented in January, we're hopeful that we will gain an exemption from the tariffs imposed as we move through Q4 and into 2022, and that ocean freight costs moderate over time. As it relates to our efforts in ESG, we remain focused on elevating our position on environmental issues and finding new ways to honor our commitment to clean water and sustainability. That is why earlier today, we announced our intention to exit the category of single-use plastic bottled water sold in retail channels in North America. We expect that exiting this category will improve our profitability, enable us to provide more focus on our razor razor blade revenue model, and lighten our environmental footprint. Our progress in ESG improvement is ongoing. Within the last year, we achieved carbon neutrality in our U.S. water operations, and our European water business has remained carbon neutral for the last 10 years. In December 2020, we became the first company to certify a spring water source under the Alliance for Water Stewardship Standards and added a second in January. We expect to certify two additional locations before the end of 2021 and remain committed to achieving carbon neutrality across our global water operations by the end of this year. In addition, we welcome Mukesh Jha as our Vice President of ESG. He is an accomplished ESG professional with a 20-year track record of success in leading ESG programs of four global organizations. Our year-to-date results, coupled with our confidence in our pure play water model, have driven our decision to maintain our full-year adjusted EBITDA outlook between $390 and $400 million. We expect to grow organically by approximately 6%, plus some additional revenue from our Tuckian M&A strategy. We remain on track to achieve the higher end of our targeted $40 to $60 million range of M&A Tuckians in 2021. I'd like to turn the call over to Jay to review our third quarter financial results in greater detail. Thank you, Tom, and good morning, everyone. Starting with our third quarter consolidated results, Revenue increased 6% to $551 million compared to $518 million. Excluding the impact of foreign exchange, 
revenue increased by 5%. The gains were largely driven by growth in our water direct and exchange businesses, partially offset by declines in our water refill and water dispenser channels. Adjusted EBITDA decreased 4% to $106 million compared to $111 million. As Tom discussed, the decrease was driven by higher operational costs related to COVID-19 as staff and driver availability during the Delta peak, along with the increased demand for products and services from residential consumers and B2B customers challenged our normal high levels of service. We were also adversely impacted by the effects of Hurricane Ida in September, losing as much as a week of operations in Louisiana and smaller outages as the storm tracked up the East Coast. Fortunately, all of our associates are safe and operations have fully resumed. These costs were partially offset by increased pricing and the benefit from continued operating leverage improvements. Turning to our segment level performance for the quarter. In North America, revenue increased 5% to $413 million compared to $393 million. The increase was driven by strong volume and increased pricing in our water direct business, partially offset by lower revenue from our water refill and water dispenser channels. Revenue from our residential consumers grew by 2% during the quarter, and North American B2B revenue was up 12%, as we are seeing steady progress on the lifting of restrictions across the channel. Adjusted EBITDA in North America decreased 3% to $88 million due to the operational challenges I just discussed. Importantly, we exited the quarter in better shape and are now closer to achieving our service level targets. Turning to our rest of the world segment, revenue increased by 11% to $138 million. Excluding the impact of foreign exchange, revenue increased by 7%. The increase was driven by growth in residential consumers, with revenue from residential consumers being up 24%. Revenue from B2B customers was flat for the quarter, as the performance of our water direct B2B customer base remains tied to the relative level of the return to the office in each of the countries we serve. We continue to work toward an efficient and low-cost rollout of our products and services for residential consumption in Europe to further diversify our customer base and better balance the customer mix. The key highlight in the rest of the world segment is the measure of organic cooler ads in the quarter. When coupled with improved retention rates, we are beginning to see the benefits from our ongoing efforts to improve operating performance in this region. As we have discussed in past quarters, we believe that our existing footprint and knowledge of the water services market in Europe leaves us in a great position to capture the revenue opportunities we've identified. Adjusted EBITDA in the rest of the world segment decreased 10% to $23 million as government subsidized furlough programs are ending in many European markets. Turning to our liquidity position and balance sheet, we ended the quarter with a cash balance of $125 million and available net borrowing capacity on our cash flow revolver of $141 million for a combined total liquidity position of $266 million. Our net leverage ratio is 3.7 times, and as we will discuss in greater detail during our upcoming Investor Day, 
we are now targeting a net leverage ratio of less than 2.5 times by 2024. Looking to the fourth quarter, based on the information we have available to us as of today, we currently expect consolidated revenue from continuing operations to be between $540 million and $550 million. We also expect that fourth quarter adjusted EBITDA will be in the range of $108 to $118 million. As part of our overall strategy to increase profitability and further reduce our environmental footprint, this morning we announced the plan to exit our North American single-use retail bottled water category, consisting primarily of one gallon, two and a half gallon, and case pack water. The plan does not affect our large format exchange, refill, and dispenser businesses, or our Mountain Valley brand, which sells products primarily in glass bottles. On an annualized basis, these products have accounted for revenue of approximately $140 million. After exiting these product lines, we expect that our overall adjusted EBITDA margin will improve by roughly 100 basis points. We expect most of the effects to begin in 2022, and we do not expect the costs from exiting these businesses to be material. For the full year 2021, Revenue is still projected to grow organically by approximately 6%, and we are maintaining our outlook for adjusted EBITDA to be between $390 and $400 million. We also expect around $10 million of cash taxes, $68 million of interest, as well as capital expenditures of around $150 million. The CapEx figures reflect an increase versus our previous forecast of $135 million, primarily because of the higher cost of ocean freight and tariffs for our dispensers. We do expect these factors to abate at some point, which will enhance future free cash flow. Turning to other aspects of capital deployment, we purchased approximately 1.8 million shares for $29 million during the third quarter as part of our $50 million share repurchase program. And earlier this week, our board of directors authorized a quarterly dividend of six cents per common share. The dividend is payable in cash on December 3rd, 2021, the shareholders of record at the close of business on November 23rd, 2021. With respect to M&A, we have maintained our disciplined approach and have been focused on accelerating the robust pipeline of tuck-in opportunities in front of us. During the quarter, we announced the acquisition of Earth2L in Oregon, Health Waters of Pennsylvania, and the Get Fresh business in Poland, and remain on track to achieve the higher end of our targeted $40 to $60 million of tuck-ins this year. In terms of our growth outlook after 2021, we are looking forward to our investor day scheduled for November 17th, when we will provide details behind our forecast for high single-digit organic revenue growth continued execution of 40 to $60 million of highly accretive tuck-ins annually, enhanced EBITDA margins of 40 to 60 basis points per year, in addition to the one-time benefit of approximately 100 basis points from our planned exit of the single-use retail bottled water business. Targeted annualized adjusted EBITDA in excess of $500 million by 2024, and net leverage of less than 2.5 times by 2024. I will now turn the call back to Tom. Thanks, Jay. We remain focused on executing a differentiated water your way platform. 
and we will leverage our pure play water model to drive organic growth by approximately 6% in 2021. We will continue to enhance the customer experience through improving customer-facing tools by building out more diverse e-commerce solutions and improving the customer experience through flawless delivery. We will continue to execute against our razor razor blade model with growth in the number of dispensers sold, driving top-line growth through the sale of water products. In Europe, we're accelerating our water refill, water exchange, and water dispenser businesses to diversify our customer base and capture growing demand in the residential market. Additional focus areas include leveraging our predictable and reliable top-line growth while protecting our efficiency improvements and maintaining our highly variable cost structure, identifying and executing highly accretive tuck-in acquisitions across North America and Europe, and seeking new ways to further enhance our standing as an ESG and sustainability leader. Supporting our initiatives are more structural and thematic tailwinds that are driving consumers towards healthy hydration solutions. The growth in the health and wellness category continues to support our prospects of gaining share of the broader beverage category. COVID continues to elevate the health and wellness conversation, and consumers are increasingly conscious of their overall health and well-being. In addition, the perception of the declining quality of municipal tap water is well-documented, which supports the growth of our products and services. Tap water, as a primary drinking source, is expected to continue to decline for the foreseeable future. As Jay noted, we expect our consolidated fourth quarter revenue to be between $540 and $550 million, and for our adjusted EBITDA to be between $108 and $118 million. For full year 2021, we are forecasting revenue growth of approximately 6% and are maintaining our adjusted EBITDA forecast to be between $390 and $400 million. We continue to see the elevated demand while our staffing has begun to return to normal with COVID cases reduced by approximately 80% from mid-Q3. We expect to see sustained strength from our water direct and exchange residential customer base and improvement from our water direct B2B customer base as we progress through the fourth quarter and into next year. We're also maintaining a strong pipeline of Tuck and M&A candidates, which we expect to execute during the remainder of this year. Lastly, as a reminder, we are hosting a virtual analyst and investor day on November 17th at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and hope you will join us. Registration instructions are located on the investor relations section of our website. At the Investor Day, we will provide details behind our multi-year forecast for high single-digit organic revenue growth, continued execution of 40 to $60 million of highly accretive tuck-ins annually, enhanced EBITDA margins of 40 to 60 basis points per year, in addition to the one-time benefit of a, approximately 100 basis points from our planned exit of the single-use retail bottled water business, targeted annualized adjusted EBITDA more than $500 million by 2024, and net leverage of less than 2.5 times by 2024 as well. 
Once again, I'd like to thank the Primo Water Associates across the business for their tireless efforts to serve our customers. And with that, I'll turn the call back over to John to move us to Q&A. Thanks, Tom. During the Q&A, to ensure we can hear from as many of you as possible, we would ask for a limit of one question and one follow-up per person. Thank you. Operator, please open the line for questions. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be pulled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. Your first cut question comes from Kevin Grundy with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Great, thanks. Morning, everyone. Morning, uh, Kevin. Uh, two questions for me, uh, if I may. Uh, first on the quarter and then a follow-up on the long-term guidance. So first, um, I think it'd be helpful just maybe spend a little bit more time on some of the pain points from a cost perspective around labor and route inefficiencies uh, from the pandemic, how that progressed during the quarter, what you saw in October in terms of some of these costs improving, particularly around labor uh, and availability that gives you comfort on the, on the guidance for the year. And, th and then I'll follow up with the long-term guidance. Thanks. Sure, Kevin, this is Tom. Um, in the middle of the quarter, I think late July, early August, we began to experience a spike from the Delta variant. In order of magnitude would be roughly, you know, 10 to 15% of our route sales associates were infected. And if you think about that, there's a couple of days before they get tested where they're not feeling well, then they get tested, they're positive, they're sidelined for at least two weeks. And of course, this didn't happen radically one in each building. It happens in buckets. Uh, so I'll give you an example. Denver, Colorado, I have something like 20 routes. Seven routes were open. So we don't have the available workforce, obviously. We don't carry that kind of incremental headcount to cover. So we scrambled. And then that then put us behind on our ability to effectively service the customer. We missed customers. We missed revenue. And then we incurred the incremental cost of, you know, temporary labor, which are not properly trained. Uh, we incurred lots of overtime, which is, you know, short term is not long term, long term, a good solution. And then we flew people in from all over. I'll use, I'll use Jay as an example. Jay was on a route in Denver uh, to help out as an example. So we, we put everybody available to address the openings. As we moved through September, the cases began to drop. And we, we, in October, as an example, current cases are 80% lower than what they were at the peak. So we've now begun to return to more normal operations. And therefore, we're beginning to see more normal operating costs as we, you know, we're not flying people all over and we're properly servicing our customers. So that, 
hopefully that gives you a flavor for you know the impact of the, the variant. Obviously, we wouldn't have forecast that. Uh, and happily in October, it's behind us. And uh, we're pretty much back to normal at this point in time. And you could even see it in our September results. You know, as uh, you know, if you look at September standalone, we we were at 11% revenue growth, EBITDA growth of 12%. So you, you can see as we came out of the quarter, even it wasn't quite back to where it should be, but it, you know, it showed up in our results in September, and it could be, frankly continued on into October. Got it. Th thank you both. Um, and then just if I could follow up on, on the long-term guidance, and, and I know you uh, will be spending more time on this at, at the analyst day, so I think we can appreciate that. But maybe just for purposes of this call, spend a little bit of time on the high single-digit organic sales growth guidance, which, which is great. Maybe just talk broadly about how you see the building blocks for that across your business and geographies. Um, and then the margin outlook is also encouraging. Um, maybe just talk about the key factors driving it. You know, how that compares, I think, historically, particularly on the HOD side, it's been 10 to 20 basis points of margin improvement, and now you're looking for 40 to 60 across the business. Uh, so quite a step up and, and pretty encouraging in the cost environment where a lot of companies are, are obviously struggling. Uh, so I think that would be helpful. And then sorry for being a bit verbose here, but just the last one I think would also be helpful for folks. Just looking at the EBITDA guidance now, looking at the 2024 and, and, and incorporating your new leverage target of two and two and a half times, maybe talk about uses of free cash flow, particularly around share buyback, because um, you, you provided the commentary around the, the, the tuck-in uh, tuck deals. I think we can you know, uh, assume reasonable levels of CapEx, et cetera, but just trying to get a better feel for what you're thinking about and what's included in the, in the multi-year outlook around buybacks, uh, just to kind of make the math work here. Uh, I think would be helpful. So thanks for all that, guys, and then I'll pass it on. Okay. Uh, let me start with the top line. You, you basically <laughs> took our investor day agenda, Kevin. So we, we, we might answer some, but not all. How, how about that? That, 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 that? That's entirely fair. Entirely fair. Thank you, guys. Let me give you my perspective on high single-digit growth. So we have been delivering and articulating approximately 6% organic growth. When we exit the retail business, that number will move to 7%, and it's a high degree of confidence because we've been delivering that number. You also know that we've uh, recently hired Kate Gutowski and Jeff Johnson, and there's two prongs. Is we're scaling up so that we can make real investments in future growth around digital. Kate has some experience there. And then to your question about EBITDA margin expansion, we think that Jeff will help us enhance, improve our operational efficiency across the operation to give us that step up in EBITDA margin enhancement. Uh, so that's really the high level uh, approach on why we think it's there. And of course, we're gonna have to invest in growth. And we've invested in you know, the mobile app and some of the websites, we're gonna have to accelerate that investment to push it to the higher end you know, of the single digits. And on, on the leverage that you asked, it really is a function. We have a small amount of debt that we can repay on our cash flow revolver, some financing leases, but we don't have a vast amount of debt. So there, there is paying off that debt, but it's predominantly it's, it's the leverage of the increased EBITDA that, that drops our you know, leverage ratio versus EBITDA down. So you know, that, that is how we're getting to you know, below two and a half times by 2024 on the leverage. Okay, I'll pass it on and, uh, uh, and take some questions offline. Thank you for the time, guys, and good luck. I appreciate it. 
Thanks, Kevin. Your next question comes from Derek Lazard with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Derek. And, uh, good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing? Good, Derek. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, maybe I just wanted to hit on the um, the I guess what what segment? Uh, sorry, let me just uh, rephrase that because uh, again, thanks for giving us the, the revenue impact from from the exiting of those businesses. I was just wondering maybe if you could break it down a little bit further. Um, you know, in, in a couple of areas, which segment do we find those revenues? And number two, what's the split, I guess, between uh, North America and, and, and the rest of the world? And thirdly, um, when do you expect to be fully exited of that business? Yeah, so that's the retail question? Sure. Yeah, so, so you know, first off, if you look on our, on our channel segment reporting, it's other water. Okay. And really, the other water is just retail water, and it's located in North America and Israel is, is where it is. In Israel, we have the number one premium retail brand, um, so it's a very good, very profitable brand. Here, when you look at, at the business that we're exiting, it's about $140 million. I, I said that with my prepared remarks. And we've talked about this business, you know, since previously. It, it's basically a... a no, zero EBITDA are basically zero EBITDA business that we've run for fixed cost leverage. So, you know, that, that's the EBITDA effect. And it really is just removing, you know, basically zero EBITDA type revenue is what's improving our margin. Um, you know, a couple other points on that. Um, I'm not sure if Tom said in his prepared remarks, but this will eliminate 400 million single plastic bottles that we're selling from our portfolio with us working with the retailers to replace it with our exchange machines, with our refill machines. So it's really an effort to remove single-use plastics from our from our overall product line. Um, you know, so so that's the key part of it. And the last thing, you know, I know I'll get a inflation question at one point, but might as well knock it out. The biggest inflationary pressures we've, you know, we've seen is, you know, part of this business too, where you know, we have resin that we're buying, we have freight that we're shipping. And you know we've we've seen about six million dollars of of inflationary type headwinds within this business on top of everything this year. So it will also be a you know eliminated a part of business that does have the the commodity type movement. And then you have to put the pricing through the the large retailers, which as we all know takes much longer than our ability to take uh, uh, you know pricing across our other 2.7 million almost customers. That's very helpful, Jay. Thanks for that. And, and maybe just one last one for me. Um, in terms of the, the the Delta variant impact, I was just wondering how it impacted you guys in, in terms of, of quit rates or short-term quit rates and, and maybe uh, customer service complaints. Yeah, so we would have obviously not service to our normal level, which would drive incremental costs to the call center. We deployed every available human <laughs> to us uh, to solve for that. Encouragingly is our customers can be very forgiving when we respond to them that we're taking efforts to address the issue and evidenced by that reduction in the core quit rate. So the 240 basis points lower than the same time a year ago is indicative that we still made good progress retaining the customers and we responded appropriately or as best we could in, these, in, the, in what was a pretty wild six or eight weeks. Okay, thanks for that, guys. 
Yeah, they're, okay. they're including the CFO knocking on your door with a, a five-gallon jug, you know, thanking them for being a customer. Would have liked to see that. <laughs> it's it's uh, priceless. <laughs> your next question comes from John Zamparo with CIBC. Please go ahead. Morning, John. Good morning, everyone. Hello, John. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. I also hope to see a picture of Jay driving a truck at the, uh, the investor day coming up. They, they didn't give me a full truck. They just gave me a van is all they would all they would trust me with, John. <laughs> Trying to limit Fair the enough. downside. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I want to ask about the dispenser business. And I know there's going to be noise quarter to quarter, and it seems like tariffs have an impact here, but it's, it's the second consecutive quarter we've seen a decline. Is there anything you can add uh, on this business? Well, you have a couple of things that, that have happened. Obviously, like everybody else, freight costs are higher, right? So we've seen significant inflation in the cost of the freight to get it here, which leads to price increases, uh, which take us a while, obviously, to flush through because this is a retail sector. Uh, the current levels of ocean freight have abated a little, but they're still meaningfully higher than a year ago, or albeit better in Q3 and, and moving into Q4 than Q2 and early Q3. We have uh, had delays in the timing of those shipments, but right now we're in a pretty good position from an inventory perspective. So we've, my team has done a very good job managing when they get here so that we believe we'll open in 2022 in very good position. As it relates to tariffs, uh, we weren't given a window when they expired at the end of 2020. Tariffs have been in place since the first of the year. We now have the ability to request exemption from those tariffs. That process ends on or about December 1st and then uh, we'll await government decision uh, when we went through this process the first time in, I want to say, 2016, we ultimately received the exemption. So we're cautiously optimistic, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, once that comes back, then we would expect the dispenser business to get back in shape and continue to grow. And even though it was choppy, I think we'll still sell something on the order of 800,000 coolers this year. Uh, which there's still plenty of new users to the category that will service hopefully with our water direct exchange and refill business. And, and the one point you didn't mention, we did see last year some inventory loading by retailers as they were seeing these headwinds come. So technically, when you look at the million we show, sold last year, there was a little bit of you know pull forward of, of purchasing by the retailers. So that that's given us a little bit of headwind on a year-over-year comparison this year also. Okay, that's that's helpful. Thanks. And then my follow-ups on the ESG side, and I think you're making um, really tangible efforts and, and progress on on this front. And the investment community is probably or should be well aware of it. But I'm wondering about it at the customer level. And are there ways that you're making customers aware of the efforts you're taking and, and the benefits? And, and ultimately, can that bring in more customers, or do you view it as a retention tool? Just would like to get your your thoughts on the ESG efforts from from the consumer's perspective. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point, John. We need to be better communicators of, I'll call the three R's, refill, reuse, recycle. And that's the real benefit of our large format bottles. And it, it should become a bigger part of our marketing, customer, consumer communication. 
And I think you'll see us move further down that path in 2022. And then, frankly, the exit of the retail business gives us the opportunity to re-engage and open that communication with the customer, which once we're completely out of this, all at mid-year 22, you'll see us kick up that communication. Got it. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you very much. Thanks, Your next question comes from Andrea Texaria with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, and, and hope you and your logistics team are well now. Um, and Jay deserves a lot of uh, the respect. I, I guess the stock has a little bit oh, of. Thank you. <laughs> your bonus is right there, right? Tom <laughs> um, laughed out that he was sweeping floors down in Orange County, too. So, you know, let, well, let, let me not get all the glory. He was out in the market, too. <laughs> oh, here you go. Um, thank you. <laughs> so my question is on, I think you alluded to, but I, I just want to make sure that uh, we, we get all the pieces together. So your EBITDA margin for the fourth quarter kind of implies 20 to 21 and a half. So um, it's a big step from the prior year and could be even above the three quarter 20 level, which um, we think it's probably the highest ever. So what do you think is driving the step up in profitability uh, especially as I guess you think labor and third party rate uh, also kind of takes, you know, um, continues to be elevated. Uh, is that, I mean, obviously the retail water business exit is not until, as you said, mid next year, but there's some, you know, improvement that in the mix as you carry over. So anything we should be yeah, aware of, any additional yeah. pricing or lag? Yeah, Andrea, there's, we'll get a full quarter benefit of pricing. Mm -hmm. So we were very aggressive, took pricing in Q3, but it wasn't in for the totality of Q3. It will be in for the totality of Q4 uh, across pretty much all of our customer base. So we'll get the benefit of that. And then, you know, Jay referenced September revenue up 11%. We are enjoying good demand for our products into October, which will also give us the, the, leverage from the volume down to the EBITDA margin. Okay, no, that's, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and everything falling into the quarter, which by the way is pretty unique for everyone else in CPG, so that's, uh, that's impressive. Thank you. It's the benefit of having a very diverse customer base where, you know, we, we have said we, we do have the ability to take pricing because our average customer bill is 50 bucks. We don't, we don't have the large, large retailers that, you know, have the ability to RFP and that gives us the ability to take price and we're, we're, we're taking it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Direct to consumer. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrea. Your next question comes from Nick Modi with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hey guys, this Morning. is Filippo. Hey, this is Filippo Falorni uh, on for Nick. Um, one quick question on the labor uh, issues. Uh, you mentioned clearly things are getting are getting better and already kind of returned to normal. But if you think a bit a bit longer term about the potential longer term impacts from COVID, have you seen any uh, have you seen any difficulties finding uh, employees um, given the rise of the gig economy and, you know, having more options for, for people to find alternative jobs? Uh, is that something that you're thinking about uh, longer term on the labor front? 
Yeah, in, in terms of the route labor force, we have taken appropriate steps market by market in terms of what our starting wages are. And that has always been baked into our expectations. And we don't see huge challenges. That doesn't mean there isn't a town somewhere in North America where there's a particular issue. But overall, we think we're in a pretty good spot in terms of our ability to fill and keep fill those routes subject to no future variants uh, that causes these spikes. And then in the other biggest area for us is in our call center. So we're, we have competitively wages in our Lakeland facility. And frankly, the entire team is focused on retention, right? So part of this is once you can attract the people, when we get them, what are we doing all the right things to keep them? And it's a pretty big focus of the company to onboard pre people appropriately and to make them feel part of the team so that they'll stay with us. Got it. That makes sense. Um, and on, ES, on the ESG front, maybe you could give some metrics how uh, the exit of the North America uh, bottled water business helps uh, improve the ESG profile of your company from an emission standpoint. Um, and longer term, you've made a lot of progress on the topic. Uh, what other initiatives are you thinking about going forward? So there's, uh, I'll give you one of the other initiatives, and then I'll, I'll hand the, the larger retail question over to Jay. You, you would have read last quarter we invested in a company called Sipple. Sipple is a refill vending machine that will vend uh, containers of one liter or less. So we actually believe it'll be a single-use replacement. Uh, we're currently invested, only started in the UK. We have global rights for that. It will be part of our growth story over the course of the next three years, because we think it is a real environmentally friendly solution with pretty good growth potential. And, and when you look on at ESG, I mean, you look, we, you know, our primary product is about the most environmentally sensitive packaging we can use. We pick it back up, we sanitize it, we reuse it you know, up to 50 times. So, yeah, you know, that is it. But when you look at our portfolio, it was this one-way small part of our, our business, but we were still utilizing, you know, over 400 million single-use containers, and that's going to go away. So you look at greenhouse gas, by the end of this year, we will be carbon neutral globally and work, you know, through carbon credits, but working on reducing the amount of greenhouse gas we, we generate for our routes. We're a member of Alliance of Water Stewardship, and we are really focused on, on really taking care of the aquifer and water sources. This will get us to the same place on packaging because this one-way package was the one area that didn't meet our strategy. So you really look at the E part of ESG, this was really the final step we needed to really be, be you know, on every one of those three categories, really moving in the right direction as a company. Great, makes sense. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thank Lee, your next question comes from Derek DeLay with Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Yeah, hi guys. Congrats on a hey guys. Congrats on a strong quarter and, and obviously good guide near and, and long term. Um, Thanks, Derek. So hey, one of the things I want to talk about was just just the acquisition. So you mentioned that you know you're going to continue to focus on the 40 to 60 million in tuck-ins. Can you just talk about you know what you're seeing in terms of, of multiples? I, I know you guys have kind of given a range in the past. Are the multiples you know still in that range on the private side? And 
is there anything larger or maybe medium-sized out there? And finally, will these be predominantly focused in the U.S.? Uh, generally speaking, the multiples are about the same as historically. Uh, the size of the ones we're doing might be a little bit bigger than average. So I think our average over the years is like two and a half million. These might be three and a half million, if you will, maybe a little bit bigger than that. Uh, so there's a little bit more scale. Uh, you'll see uh, a number in North America early. And, you know, the, the Get Fresh was a good size acquisition in Poland. So we've got some work to do to make sure that we integrate that business properly. That was something on the order of 20,000 customers, if I remember correctly. Uh, we think there's a good runway. And hence, we've said, you know, the 40 to 60 million. So we think there's still plenty in our sweet spot, if you will, at reasonable multiples historically. And then, you know, there are a few bigger ones out there. We'll wait and see, you know, how they develop over time. Okay. Um, and then I guess just switching gears a little bit, you guys, you know, you mentioned some cost inflation you're seeing in terms of labor, in terms of shipping. Wondering what you're seeing just in terms of, of, of packaging, I guess, on the, on the plastic side. I mean, is, is this something that uh, you can pretty easily price price through or pass the price on, or, or how are you dealing yeah. with that? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. If you think about our business, excluding this retail business, that there is a little bit of inflation in the cost of a, either a polycarbonate or a PET five-gallon container, but because we use them 50 times, it's really not a very large impact. Uh, and that becomes the largest material that we buy, frankly, at the end of the day. So as we exit retail, we'll be less less stressed by cost inflation, resin, and fuel as it relates to packaging. Okay. We won't buy any corrugated. We'll buy a lot less shrink wrap. All that will be some hidden benefits that are environmentally friendly, not just the plastic bottle. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, okay, and then last one for me, just in terms of the the residential um, business in in Europe. I know it's it's still early days, but you referenced that 24% year over year growth. You know, how are you viewing the performance of that business in the early days, and and is it still sort of located in in a select group of of larger cities? Yeah, we're quite pleased with with the performance of the residential business. Uh, we're now, uh, I think, the last site we stood up was in Russia. And we're quite pleased with the early days in Russia. We would have sites now up across Europe. So everyone has a basic uh, transactional site. It's an area that we need to develop over time. Uh, it's one of the growth areas as we enhance the digital experience. But we're quite pleased with the growth. Uh, it tends to be a little bit more Eastern Europe at this point. Um, but we're very happy with where we think this, where this can grow, and it's had pretty significant growth in, in calendar 21. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thanks, Derek. Your next question comes from Daniel Moore with CJS Securities. Please go ahead. Morning, Dan. Hello, Dan. Good Good morning, Tom and Jay. Uh, you covered a lot of ground, so maybe just uh, talk a little bit about the cadence of the reopening in Europe on the commercial side of the business. How is that? Uh, starting to come back through the quarter and, and, and early into Q4. Thanks. 
Yeah, I think that that business has really essentially flattened out in terms of return. So our operating approach now is this is the new normal. Um, and firms, remember that that customer base for us is more large commercial, larger offices. It's a balance of work from home and when European businesses reopen. So it's been slow to recover and it's been frankly pretty static over the last month. Hence the reason why our focus and growth on residential becomes more important as one, we diversify the customer base, but as, the, as those consumers are spending as much time at home, that this is an important point for us to drive growth across the continent over time. Perfect. And then lastly, um, on the capital allocation front, good color uh, and appreciated. Um, you know, does this quarter indicate a little bit of a, a desire to step up or continue to step up on, on the share repurchase front or just being opportunistic? And number two, the leverage ratio, um, simple math, so pretty straightforward, but does that preclude you from exploring larger strategic M&A um, or is that just, just assuming it doesn't happen? Thanks. And on, on, uh, I think you answered your own question on, on the share buyback. It was opportunistic and on the dips, you know, we, we did um, buy up a, a good portion of our stock, 1.8 million shares in the quarter. So um, that, that was the purpose. Um, and we, we, we went through um, the majority of what was, what's been allocated to us from the board. So um, that, that covers that. And on, on the balance sheet, you know, we, we do have a, we do have a good balance sheet. We have the ability to, to do larger scale transactions um, if needed, but in the interim, um, our goal is to grow the business, grow EBITDA. And I talked earlier about the deleveraging that will naturally happen with the organic growth we're, we're, we're targeting over the next three years. All right, looking forward to the, the uh, investor day. Thanks for the caller. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Your next question comes from Pavel Nolchinov with Raymond James, please go ahead. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, let, let me um, uh, zoom in on, on Europe as well. Uh, cases in Europe, in contrast to the U.S., are up close to 50% in the last 30 days. And, you know, U.K., Germany, and I think particularly Eastern Europe are really in a fourth or fifth wave now. Is that having the analogous impact on your, you know, route uh, operations that you discussed vis-a-vis -vis the United States a little bit earlier? I think the way to think about it, since it's the fourth or fifth wave, it's pretty normal course, right? So we don't have the impact on route operations or on the associates in Europe that we've experienced in North America. So we haven't had a big spike of of folks that got infected. And you know, okay. we, you know, as you can imagine, we track it every week by market, so we know where where people have been negatively impacted and and we just don't see it on that side. Okay, good good to hear. Um Sipple, you you mentioned in the original Sipple announcement that you would be deploying their, you know, mini kiosk across your European asset base and also bringing it across uh, the Atlantic to North America. Uh, do you have a timetable in mind for deploying this technology across your asset base? 
Yeah, I'll tell you exactly where we are today is finding the appropriate manufacturing in North America and Europe so that we can scale, right? So we're in active discussions with solutions. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, we have the technology. Now we have to scale it. I don't want to ship it around the world, so I'd rather produce it in the continent, if you will, based on the last, you know, year. Uh, so that's active in process right now. And, and that'll dictate when we can actually, you know, plug them in and turn them on. Uh, but we would expect to deploy some before the year is out in 22. Got it. Thank you very much, guys. Congrats. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Appreciate it. Your next question comes from George Dumet with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hello, George. Yeah, hi, George. Hi, guys. Good morning. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about pricing. Um, maybe if you can talk to the quantum of, of the price increases that we took uh, for the Q3 quarter and maybe looking at your longer-term um, algorithm of high single digits. Is that still going to be a third of that, or, or do you expect maybe pricing to maybe be a little bit higher than what we've historically taken? In the in the quarter, we had 6% increase in pricing. Water direct and water direct and exchange, the, the bulk of our business. So we're quite pleased with that. Uh, and then we expect that to continue, obviously, you know, as we've implemented this. The longer term algorithm is, you know, it's always going to be a piece of how many customers we get and their contribution from a volume perspective. We'll, we've been very disciplined on regular price increases. Uh, so that will be part and parcel to our growth story. Customer retention is a part of our growth story. So it's not just bringing new ones in, but keeping the ones you have, uh, which are quite valuable to us. I mean, if you look at that part of our business that Tom talked about, 10% on the quarter, about a little over 1% was customer growth, a little over 2% was, was volume growth, and then the 6% was pricing. That rounds up to the 10%. Um, you know, we, we feel with, with investment behind growth, we can increase the amount of growth from customers. You know, consumption will continue to grow, and I think we're, we, we, you know, are demonstrating the ability to take price within our customer base. So, you know, those are still the, the three prongs we're focused on. Okay, great. Uh, you're shifting gears to Israel, which has been more immune than most of our jurisdictions. Uh, just wondering, have you, what have you seen there uh, in terms of volume per customer? Has that has that at all increased? Has that been stable in, in the last couple of months? Yeah, the the business has been quite stable and growing. Uh, our the retail side of our business is, as Jay referenced, we're the number one brand in country. So. Uh, we are seeing increased volume and consumption there. Our home and office or water direct business has been quite solid and experienced pretty significant growth uh, in this calendar year. And, you know, their return from COVID has been different than others, right, in terms of timing. So they've been back a little bit longer. Uh, although they did have a little bit of spike, it was short-lived compared to what, you know, we saw with the Delta here in the U.S. Okay, just so one last point, if I may. It seems that the cadence um, of our, of our bolt-on M&A has been well above kind of the 40 to 60, at least on a run rate basis uh, lately. I'm just wondering, is that something that you guys can maybe maintain and maybe end up having a higher contribution if you look at it from a 12-month period? 
I mean, George, I mean, the, the key is if you look at the years where we've gone above the 60, it's where we've probably done a 30 or a $40 million larger type tuck in. I mean, Mount Valley would be, you know, an example of it. And that's what put us at the higher end to the extent we continue to do the, you know, as Tom said, average two and a half, three million, maybe some bigger, some little. Uh, I think the range is the right to go, but we do continue to look for, uh, you know, larger scale ones. Not, I'm not talking strategic, but, you know, at the 30, 40, 50 million, those will obviously get us above the range. But if we continue with the average that we talk about, 40 to 60 is the right way to look at it. Okay. Thanks for answering. Good luck. Thanks, George. Thanks, George. Take care. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. This concludes Primo's third quarter results call. Thank you all for attending. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.